0: Back page of your bulletin, because it's a collection of proverbs. So we are finishing up our series on community from proverbs. How do you live well in God's world together? And we've looked at friendship. We've looked at family. We've looked at the enemy of community. Uh, what what the proverbs, what the what the wise teacher called the troublemaker. Um, and so. I hope you've been encouraged to see how practical this book really is. It's designed to get into your life, God to invade your life, Monday through Saturday, as much as he does right here, right now. Um, and so this morning we're going to look at, at both the creator and destroyer of relationships. We're going to look at our words, and this will help tie it together. And so let's read from these Proverbs, and we will pray. This is the word of our God. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of sense. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad and whoever guards his mouth preserves his life and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger a gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And with patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a gentle tongue will break a bone. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and given in love. Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, uh, we ask now that uh, your words would be a tree of life to us, uh, that you would bring healing to the words that have cut us deeply, and you would also bring healing to our tongues so that we um, we would use our words wisely. But most of all, show us, Jesus, your good and perfect word to us so that we might be comforted by your grace. Uh, make us new. Uh, renew and refresh us with your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start by asking for help from the kids. See if you, Do you know the rest of this statement? If I start with, sticks and stones will never hurt me, Oh, I just blew it. (laughs) It's even in my notes. (laughs) All right, kids, this is really easy now. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, can't get that one back. Words will never break me. (laughs) It's a little ditty trying to uh, to get us to think. We're trying to protect ourselves, really, from the reality of words, uh, that they hurt. And and if I had to guess, I know, I mean, if we were to take a survey, if you were to take a truth serum, we could go around and take turns uh, to to confess those words that were spoken to us today, uh, maybe even decades ago, that are still ringing around in our head. Uh, Positive or negative. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad, because words are powerful. I mean, just consider this, that how you use your words is going to determine the quality or the length of your, fr- your marriage. How you use your tongue will either cultivate a deep friendship with your children, or cause the relationship to wither, along with your tr- their trust in you, or even the words that you use to speak to yourself, because we, are all, we all speak to ourselves more than anyone else. The story that you tell yourself, right, it can throw you into a deep depression and lock you in that dark dungeon or it could be a a bright and shining light to set you free from that depression, right? Because as the the Proverbs, the the wise teacher, the wise father tells us, death and life are all wrapped up in the power of the tongue. And so we're going to talk about our words. How do you use your words? And the image I want to focus on to jump into this collection, because there's a lot more that could be said in Proverbs, is is, uh, chapter 15, verse 4. Where it says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Right, and Proverbs are things you're supposed to just stare at for a long time and just meditate on them. Right, and so he says, a healing tongue, soothing words, they're like a tree of life. And I'm going to try and do this without giving the answer away again. <laughs> Where's the tree of life, class? <laughs> Kids, where do you find the tree of life? Right, it's, in, it's in the Garden of Eden. It's in paradise with God. It's in His presence. And so what Proverbs is telling you is that if you use your words well, or you have words used well in your direction, it feels like paradise, like life is as it, as it should be. Uh, that, that words have the power to transport you back to the Garden of Eden before, before there was shame. Uh, before there was anger, before there was blame shifting, where we're blaming, pointing fingers at other people, Um, before there was depression and darkness. All of that. Because the right words can be like a tree of life. They can heal your relationships rather than tear them apart. That is a beautiful picture that I want to camp out there, because we gotta ask, how do you use your words to create life, uh, to, to get into a tree of life type experience. How do you use your words to heal rather than harm? And so that's what, how we're going to look at these passages. And the first thing I want to focus on, the first point if you're taking notes, is just the power of words. We know this intuitively, but we don't stop and think about it. We just throw words out there uh, like, they're, like they're cheap. And so look at 1218. It's in the middle of your page. It says there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing." That's a pretty powerful statement, that the power of your words, my words, and language in general, is like being stabbed with a sword. It's quick, it's sudden, it's painful, it's violent. Uh, there are lingering effects. If, if you were to stab me in the gut and pull the sword out just because the sword is gone, the words are gone, it doesn't mean the wound has disappeared. Right? It made me think of uh, the, the great story in Judges of Ehud, right, where, where he goes to the king of Moab. And the king of Moab, the name is, his name is Eglon. Just talking about using words well, Eglon means heifer, a cow. And, and he gets this um, very nice description. It says, he was a very fat man. And it's not actually making fun of him. It's actually making fun of God's people it's mocking them because it's saying King Eglon is not a terrifying threat he's not a fierce warrior he's an overweight heifer who's better at chewing his cud than fighting battles and he is the one who has enslaved God's people too weak to save themselves God's people are like that sluggard who's too too lazy to put the food in their mouth and so Ehud God's promised deliverer the judge the Savior goes he sneaks a sword on the opposite side into the the throne room. He tells Eglon, I have a secret message for you and everyone clears out and it's just Ehud and Eglon and when they're alone out of nowhere, he just stabs the sword all the way into Eglon's gut to where it says the fat covers the the hilt. And it was sudden, it's violent, it's brutal, it stinks, it's just a mess. And Proverbs says rash words are like that sword thrust and if you're Eglon you know it can come as a surprise you didn't see it coming Mm -hmm. and no matter what you do right you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again so if you stick him with a sword there's gonna be a you're gonna be wounded there may be healing but there's still a scar and so that's the power of our words that no amounts of I'm sorry can undo the damage can heal, but it won't take it away. And even more frustrating, you can have interactions like Eglon and Ehud completely unintentionally. You can go into a a relationship, a conversation, and saying, I love this person, this is going to go well, and if you're like me, you want to do this just right, so you've replayed it again and again in your head, so you say the the words at the right time, and you still end up leaving somebody bleeding out emotionally, because words were spoken wrong. And so that's the world we live in. Proverbs is very blunt, that words killed, literally. Um, and we know that, that's what suicide notes usually say, it's that it, it points to someone else's words. Uh, Monica Lewinsky, I don't even have to explain who she is. Right? She talks about what hurt just as much as anything else were the words that were used repeatedly to describe her in the news to the point where in her lowest moment, she wasn't even allowed to go to the bathroom alone. They didn't, they didn't know if she was going to take her own life. Words harm. Right, they're powerful. They're like a sword injury. They cause internal damage. And they mess, they mess with our heads. They get into our heads and they don't get out. It's like, it's like having an audio recording stuck on repeat in your head. You, they go, you go to sleep with them in your head. You, you wake up with them in the morning. And then the story that's told about us by someone else, right? that we're not good enough in whatever form that comes out, it just doesn't go away. It hurts. Right? And we know this. I mean, just think, of, well, just think of a parent who would look at their child and say, um, you've ruined my marriage. You've ruined my life. That child is going to spend the rest of their life, 70, 80 years even, trying to make sense of those words words are powerful they can kill us emotionally Uh, they mess with our minds Uh, they also uh, destroy communities and friendships and families right I mean you get that here a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling looks like a bars of a castle and a whisperer separates close friends I mean you can ruin a friendship in a moment with careless words and all of a sudden, that person whom you love has barricaded the gates, so to speak. They've pulled up the drawbridge, they're in a castle, and they're not letting you back in. But I don't want to just be negative, because the Proverbs is not. <laughs> I know it's heavy to start. Words have the power to kill, but they also have the power to heal, to restore relationships, to bandage those same wounds. All right, I mean... It says here that the tongue of the wise brings healing in verse 18, which really is a description of a good counselor, a good friend, a pastor. As as one commentator puts it, these are the people we want to be on our side and in friendship and relationship with, because the tongue of the wise cares more about the soothing, uh, cares more about the person than winning an argument. You care much more about bandaging the wound than being right. That's that's what the picture of a wise tongue. Alright, so if you use the image of a castle, you approach someone that's been wounded by your words, they pulled up the gates, there's a moat, they've got the archers pointed at you, there's a vat of boiling oil, right? They clearly don't want you to get close. Proverbs also says that if you use the right words. They may let down the drawbridge again. That if you wave the white flag of I'm sorry, I meant that, and you're honest about it. You stop covering up the truth. If you say I was a jerk, I meant that, forgive me. For the person who's wounded, that could be like a tree of life. It could bring healing. All right. That's the kind of words we look for. I mean, Francis Schaefer says this helpful helpful thing where he says, it's just how do you love one another? And it's very simple, that when I fail to love my Christian brother or sister, I go to them and say I'm sorry. And I know that sounds very simplistic. But when we say we're sorry and ask forgiveness, it's not simple. It's, a way, it's the way, it's the path of renewed fellowship. It doesn't matter whether it's between a husband and a wife, a parent and a child, or within a Christian community or any group. It could be inside or outside the church. When we have shown a lack of love towards the other, we are called by God to go and say, "I'm sorry, I really am sorry." And this is still Schaefer. He says, "If I'm not willing to say, "I'm sorry, when I've wronged somebody else, especially when I've not loved him," well then maybe the world has a right to question whether you're a Christian and you get the gospel." So he, does, he doesn't mince words, because we're to forgive. As Christ has forgiven us, see that's the power of words. <laughs> they can destroy a relationship, but they can also resurrect a dead relationship. And we have all the power in, in, in the Christian faith to resurrect even the the, the dead, dead relationships. <laughs> So what do you do with that? What do you do with that reality that words are that powerful that every word that comes out of your mouth is either going to make alive or destroy? I mean, this is where some of these are helpful. Um, Let's see, where where did it go here? You know, to to close your lips is prudent. At this point, if you know your words are powerful, just stop talking. Proverbs 13 says, you know, why don't you guard your mouth, which is a, a verbal picture of just hire a bouncer right get security to put those before that word leaves your mouth you know it's got to get permission because those who don't guard their tongue end up in ruins and so here's what I want to do why are words so powerful why why is that the way this world, God's world works and we get a hint I think in 10:20 1020, uh 10:21 actually where it says the lips of the righteous feed many but fools die for a lack of sense. And uh, right, Proverbs just assault you with images, so you just got to just try and let your imagination keep up here. But it's a word play, because what do you use your lips for? Uh, to eat and to talk. And what the proverb is implying is that we crave healing words. Um, we crave f- forgiveness, kind words, words of affirmation, the same way that we crave food. And that if you don't eat the right food, if you don't have the right words in your life, you're going to shrivel up and die. You're going to waste away. Your physical, your emotional, your social life will fall apart because we need good words. And what makes us strong that equips us for the day to live in God's world are are those words that come from wise friends. We feast on them. I mean, don't you? When, When somebody says, Something kind to you. How often throughout the day do you just rehearse that conversation? <laughs> right. So you look good today. And you look in the mirror and say, I do look good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And the picture is, because we live in God's world, to be human is to crave a good word, a kind word. And it's, that's God's design for you. To have someone outside of us praise us. And we, we hunger for that. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that when God said, when he made Adam, he made man, and he looked at him and said, this is good, and at the end of the day he said, this is very good. Adam got a benediction, a good word. He was praised. And we still have that imprint on us as human beings, that we are designed to be praised by God and our neighbors. Right? The delight of wisdom, that, that I'm glad you're here, our Heavenly Father says. Um, I'm glad I am your Father. It's praise. And so a benediction, a good word from God, uh, just a good word in general, praise, is like a tree of life. It's delicious fruit. Because we are designed to be fully known, to be fully loved, and have someone outside of us tell us we are good. And that's also why, if that's not your experience, those of us who spend our time eating, digesting, just chewing on bad words, on hurtful words, well, you're starving to death. You get stuck in a word famine. It adds to our misery. So to summarize, right, words are powerful, and words are powerful because God speaks, and we're made in His image. And we were designed by God to be praised by him and to praise others. And now in this fallen world, we have a world where there's both praising and cursing. And so words both kill and make alive. And so let me just ask a couple application questions. What words do you use to describe yourself? What, what story are you telling yourself day in and day out? Right, it's an identity word. I am. If you tell yourself every day I'm a nobody, that's going to affect you. If you tell yourself every day, I am God's creation in whom he delights, uh, and then you add in sin, so it also adds in a measure of humility, that I'm both loved more than I can imagine, and yet more selfish than I would ever dare admit, right? that's going to affect you. It's going to shape you. It's going to bring you to life. Uh, right? Or maybe ask this, what words do you have floating in your head that others use to describe you? You are, and you... Right, or what words do you think day in and day out, in reality, not just because you're in church, do you think God uses to describe you? Because how you answer those questions is going to affect how you see yourself, your, God's world. It's, how, it's going to affect everything. Now, if words are that powerful, we have to control what we say, how do you do that? How do you control your tongue? Because James says if anyone is able to con- control what they say, they will be perfect. That's James chapter 3. And unfortunately, we've tamed every creature under the sun except for our tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Right, we have a problem. How do you control the tongue? And that's point two. The problem with our words. Right. See, to build community to live well with others, we have to learn this art of praising one another in the presence of sin, in the presence of people who harm us. And we have to learn then how to keep our verbal swords in the sheath, so to speak, to not pull, draw swords so quickly where we just start stabbing people who harm us. And the reason is, this is the problem, there's two problems. One, we can't control, and two, our words are deeply moral. Jesus says that every careless word we speak will be brought up again on Judgment Day. Right. And James and Proverbs and Jesus are all saying the same thing, that the words we use to curse or cure people in the image of God, it's not just a problem with our words, it goes much deeper. It's the problem of the heart. It's internal. Right. Like the, there's never a, a time If I say this carefully, we can talk about it later if you disagree, where you can accurately say, you made me say that. Because the word first originated in here. And what Proverbs says in 1623, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious, chooses what is necessary in the moment, and adds persuasiveness to his lips, which is saying, all our words come from in here. It's the same thing Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you love most is going to shape the words that come out of your mouth. And so if you want to control your tongue, you have to control what your heart desires, what your heart craves, what you love most. And that is a big task. You think about it this way, don't aim at your words, when you hear a sermon on words, the goal is to aim at your heart, to aim at what you love. Think about it like this. Every ugly word has a source. There's no hurtful thing that's ever come out of my mouth that did not originate with me. And then you've got to ask, what's going on with my heart that I say these things? And I think part of it, to connect it to what we've already said, is, is no matter what, we want to be seen positively we want to be praised I want to be the hero I want to be known and liked and when I don't get what I want whatever that looks like respect honor attention we pull out the swords and I get mad at my kids just as much as anything else because I feel like I'm not being respected but the problem is in here I mean they might not be doing that but that's a that's a whole different story Right. Uh, we wound our friends when they don't see us as great as we see ourselves uh, or think about why you lie I mean, we, ch- we choose words carefully to craft how other people see us I mean this is what I do it and what I crave most in the moment this is why I lie most often because I just want you to like me it's not even complicated <laughs> some grand scheme it's because I want to be praised and then in, in pursuit of being liked I deceit, I try and distort your reality, which actually destroys the relationship. And so what Proverbs is telling us, what Jesus is telling us, that what controls our words is whatever is in your heart, whatever is the most important thing to you. This is as much about self-control, because we are called to have self-control, to control what we say. right? To quote Bambi, if you don't have anything nice to say, (laughs) just don't say it. But it's still in the heart. No, we have to change it. How do you change the heart? How do you change what you love? Because hurtful words are a a, a symptom of what's going on on the inside. And that's where we come to the end here, the third point. Our words are powerful. The problem with our words is, is internal, not external. And there is a power... Of a good word, the good word that we need. Right. How do you get back to paradise where your relationships are like a tree of life, where your tongues are used to heal? What is blocking the way back into the Garden of Eden? And This really is what we have to deal with because as soon as you say, well not me, as soon as Jesus says, Every careless word will be brought up again on the Day of Judgment. We know we have a problem, <laughs> a big one. I can't get to the Tree of Life. Because in the story, Adam and Eve used their words poorly. Uh, they, dis- they disbelieved God's word in particular, and there was a flaming sword placed out the garden, outside of the garden to keep them out. They received a curse, a malediction, if you will. It was judgment. Right? They, are, they are blocked from the tree of life because of the words in which they've used, because of their unbelief in God's good word. And so for you and I to be healed, for our hearts to be changed, this is where I really want to challenge us to meditate on and to chew on, is, is you have to love the idea that God will judge your words. And this is counterintuitive. Love Judgment Day. Embrace the idea, this worldview that God has made the world and every careless world will be dealt with and everyone is rushing headlong into a confrontation with King Jesus. And everything that was ever said to you that hurts will be punished. And everything that you have said will be dealt with. And I know that sounds weird to delight in God's judgment, but it does have an effect the first effect is, oh no. <laughs> it's fear. Right? This is how it worked with my family. I mean, I have this vivid memory as a kid. The first time I said a four-letter word in front of my mother because in the moment I was worried about something else and it just slipped out. Right? But most of the time I didn't say those words in front of her because I was scared of the consequences. I was scared of judgment. Right? When she wasn't looking, those words were still in here. And what Jesus is saying is there are, your Heavenly Father's always listening and recording, and that does. It. That will help control some of the words you use and what you say out loud. That what I say here matters in, in eternity. But you need more than that. Um, this week at Camp Hope, Melanie told the kids the story of John Newton, the sailor, the author of Amazing Grace, and I've used him before, but he has a hymn in our hymn book called The Day of Judgment, The Day of Wonders. Right? I don't know if you... Musical types would ever think to write a song, a poem, praising Judgment Day. But we have it in our hymn book. And here's some of the words. He says, hark, listen, the the trumpet's awful sound. It's louder than a thousand thunders. It shakes the vast creation round. And how the summons will the sinner's heart confound. Horrors past imagination will surprise your trembling heart when you hear your condemnation. Hence, accursed wretch, depart. Thou with Satan, and his angels have thy part. (laughs) Do you hear what he's saying? Condemnation is coming your way. And he's trying to get the church to sing about it. If you know Newton's story, this is amazing, because he was, or you have that phrase, he swears like a sailor? Well, he made the normal sailors look like they had clean mouths, because he was crass, he was crude, he was mean, he was so bad that um, his fellow crewmates didn't like him, that when he fell overboard, they didn't send him a life preserver, they just harpooned him in the leg and dragged him to shore, or dragged him back into the boat. I mean, He swore like it was his job. He injured people like it was prof- his profession. And that's the guy who says, let's praise Judgment Day. But it's also the same guy who became a pastor who used his words, his wise words, to heal people. I have a book in my office of his letters that are absolutely beautiful. He was a good counselor. But all the good words don't take away the hurtful words. And Newton still praises it. So how do you do that? Right? I mean, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he deserves to hear those words, I am a wretch, depart from me. He knows he deserves the bad word from God, judgment, the sword pointed in his direction. And the answer that we get is the gospel, God's good word that drowns out all the bad words, Jesus himself. Because you have to find a way to get the bad words changed to good words. You remember Jesus? The first time he shows up on the scene publicly, you remember what happens? This is the trajectory of his whole life. For the first time in human history, it's like you got Garden of Eden repeated again. God says to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus, by his own merits, was praised. He never used a hurtful word. It's like he was still eating from the tree of life with God by his side. Except he's not in Eden, he's in the desert, he's surrounded by his enemies. And his mission, this is Jesus' mission in the gospel, is that he would earn for you and I God's good word by taking away the curse. A good word that will go after your heart to give you access to the tree of life, take away the sword of judgment to set you free. And how he does it is the cross. He says, I am willing to take the malediction, the bad word, so that you might get the good word and what god should say aloud to all sinners depart from me i never knew you eternal the eternal silent treatment that that makes judgment day terrifying but what jesus did armed with god's benediction god's pleasure he goes to the cross he's slain on our behalf so that we might be welcomed that we might be praised again even though we are imperfect And what's amazing is you you study the cross, you look at it. When Jesus is on the cross, he's being mocked, he's being scorned, he's being stabbed repeatedly by people's words. In the midst of all that, he's able to speak words of healing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. But what destroyed him was God's silent treatment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the judgment we deserve. Saying, God, why have you stopped talking to me? I can't hear you anymore. He went through relational hell so that God might lay down, might open the doors of his castle, so to speak, and let us into his home. And we can hear those words You are my beloved child in whom I delight. You have my good word, my benediction permanently. and even though it's not aimed at your words in particular (laughs) it changes your heart and the Bible's way of saying it is you'll be born again (laughs) through the good news the good word that was preached to you and this is what John Newton ends his hymn singing to those who've confessed who've been honest about their words who've loved and served the Lord below Jesus is going to say come near ye blessed and see the kingdom I bestow. You for, forever shall my love and glory know. He's saying you're going to have my, God's love and his glory and his attention, his good word permanently. And when that sinks in, that changes how you speak because it's designed to be the most important word said about you and me. You have all the affirmation, all the encouragement. It's a word of grace coming from your creator, doing what he designed you to do, which is be praised by him. All that is yours in Christ. And it actually makes you a tree of life because Jesus climbed the tree of death for you. And what will happen is your words will turn from condemnation. right? If you're a negative person, it's going to start going after your heart. and say, I need to praise here where God would have condemned me, he praised me, so maybe I should do that here. So let me ask you this question. Have you heard that good word from God in his son Jesus? I mean, the Bible says that God has spoken in many ways in the past, but his final word is Jesus himself, his son. Sometimes it's just a good prayer. God, I, I know you've said this. I don't hear it. I don't feel it. I don't believe it. I believe, help my unbelief. But that's how you go after your word. You go after the heart with the gospel. And what will that do? It'll make you wise. You'll use your words differently. And I want to conclude this way. Because what happens is, is this good word invades your life that God is not mad at you like he should be. Uh, He's not speaking condemnation. He's speaking uh, affirmation and correction and discipline, all in love. Um, You're just going to start talking about Jesus. And you're going to want to imitate him. Well, that's what Paul tells you to do in Ephesians 4.9. The words of gratitude just, and words of affirmation and words of edification. Build one another up through your words. Right? But I want to end with this proverb. It's, it's funny. It, it's just a weird proverb. that In Proverbs 25 it says a gentle tongue, a soft tongue has the power to break a bone. Right? So today is the anniversary of the uh, the violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. I don't know if you, you remember, but last year on August 11th in the middle of the night at the University of Virginia, a crowd through of men with hoods and all kinds of Nazi paraphernalia and torches were screaming racial slurs, uh, screaming hatred. And then in the morning, there was a rally, and there were two sides, those, right, promoting hatred, using bad words. There were those trying to protect the Confederate history. There was just racial stuff. I mean, it was one big mess. And it ended in violence. You know, when you look at the pictures, it, it, in my childhood, all those pictures were black and white. And now they're here in color. And one of the guys who was there uh, was a guy named Ken Parker, who was a KKK member complete with swastika tattoos. I mean, he says that um, the, the KKK didn't hate enough, so he joined a Nazi group. And So how do you change somebody's hatred? How do you change somebody that hard? And Proverbs 25 said, a gentle word can even break a bone. And when you think about breaking a bone, that, the only way we know to break a bone is power or strength. But the Bible says you're going to learn to use your words gently to overcome even the most harshest, and most stubborn, and most hard hearts that there are. And what happened for Ken Parker, it wasn't the screaming that changed him. It wasn't the conflict that changed his heart. It was an interaction with a lady named Dia Khan, who was a filmmaker. And in the film, he's being interviewed by this, this uh, I think it's a Muslim lady. And he's using all kinds of horrible words, aiming at Jews, at gays, at differing races. She is of a different ethnicity. So he's insulting her to her face. And he says, the whole time she was completely respectful to me and my fiance. And it got me thinking. She's a really nice lady. And just because she's got darker skin and believes in a different God than the God I believe in, why am I hating them? A soft tongue. It created doubts. And then Parker went to his African-American neighbor, and much to his surprise, but in God's providence, was an African-American pastor. And they just started out, sat down and had some questions. And about six months later, he attended an Easter service. Uh, he, he got converted, he saw the, the ultimate soft word, Jesus Christ. He got converted. But the whole process started not with yelling, but with gentleness. And he got to stand up in a black church and say, I was the grand dragon of the KKK, and the Klan wasn't hateful enough for me, and so I decided to become a Nazi. And he says, everyone, all of them, their jaws about hit the floor, their eyes got real big. But after the service, not a single one of them had anything negative to say. They were all coming up and hugging me and shaking my hand, building me up instead of tearing me down the power of a good word the power of Jesus himself and when that pattern invades your heart it builds community and so go and learn what it means uh, that wise words are a tree of life let's pray father we thank you for your grace uh, that takes away the judgment we deserve we thank you for Jesus who teaches us how to speak and I pray you will just give us words of wisdom to speak gently to one another And in those difficult relationships that we would would just learn to imitate our Savior, to speak words of grace that have been spoken to us. So mold us into his image of our captain and our king who speaks.